Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. You have heard of Joan Blades, right? She started some political groups like moveon.org and Moms Rising. She co-authored the Motherhood Manifesto. But what you may not know is that she was a lawyer who actually wrote a book on mediating and divorce and empowering yourself in the divorce process. She also started a software company with her husband that she sold in 1997 for $13.8 million. More recently, she had this beautiful interaction with Tea Party Patriots co-founder Mark Meckler, and that led to some work together that they did together, a left-leaning liberal and a right-leaning conservative who came together and modeled for the rest of us how to work together, and they did, creating the Coalition for Public Safety and doing some criminal justice reform work. Joan now co-founds the Living Room Conversations. I first heard about this as they were doing a training at our local library, and they really want to create the opportunity for us to get together in our living rooms with people that are really different than we are, kind of like she did with Mark, so that we could be way more effective in the way that we're going about our politics. She does not believe in divisiveness. She really believes in effectiveness, and that when we're divisive, we're not effective. And I just, I love that stance. Anyway, I'm excited for you to learn more about Joan and her work and Living Room Conversations. So I just want to start, and I'm going to back up and just offer an incredible amount of gratitude, Joan, for what you're doing and building at Living Room Conversations. And I was tickled in researching, in preparation for our conversation, that this has kind of been in your bones because you used to do mediation. I've, mm-hmm. I've seen, I'm a couples therapist. I've read some of your books on divorce, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't think gets enough airtime, frankly. But why is this a part of your DNA? Like, what's the backstory on that? It's, you know, when I started doing divorce mediation, attorneys were still arguing about whether it was ethical to mediate divorces. And divorces were incredibly destructive to the kids. So parents that really care about their kids find a way to make the divorce work so that they don't destroy their children. Mm. Um, And both parents have to do that. There's nothing more tragic than when one parent's trying and the other is just in the fight. And when people, mediation is great because People make their own decisions and they're able to come to an agreement that they have to come to an agreement everyone can live with. When you give up your power to a judge or attorneys, then yeah, a judge feels like they won when both people feel like they've lost. (laughs) That's, That's 
what's seen as fair. Um, so it's about empowering people to own their, their future, their lives. Yeah. And I think that's what we're trying to do on a national level too. We've been in such a polarized spot mm -hmm. that we've become dysfunctional. The thought experiment I have been offering people because I started living room conversations after having realized years earlier that I didn't understand why conservatives were just as concerned about climate change as I was. Mm -hmm. I live in a progressive bubble. I was born in Berkeley. I live here now. And I had to be very intentional about going out and talking to people with different viewpoints. And that allowed me to get a real appreciation for some of my, con I, you know, I have wonderful conservative friends now and we don't agree on many things, but they're still beautiful human beings. Yeah. Um, by 2008 or 2009, it was less possible to have a good conversation on the topic of climate change. And so living room conversations are this attempt to allow people to have a good conversation with just a few other people that it's intentionally diverse and in a container that ensures that people have agreed ahead of time to curiosity and respect all things you learned in kindergarten, right? Take turns. <laughs> and, and then they have these wonderful listening conversations yeah. where it's not about persuasion. Because yeah. the first thing is, once you try to persuade people, you probably are far less effective in impacting their thinking about whatever you're talking about. <laughs> I'm going to make sure that my son listens to just this part, because we were just talking about persuasion and debate today, because I had my feelings hurt, because he kept trying to talk me out of my experience. He said, no, no, no. You know, if I can just reflect, you know, there's some things in here. I'm A, really here that you have a heart a real heart for people feeling cared about. I hear that heart around kids and divorce, right? I yeah. hear that desire to make new friends no matter where they come from. And it sounds like there was even some pleasure and fun in that for you when you sort of stepped outside of that bubble and started meeting people. Absolutely. I, I mean, one of the things I tell people is, yeah, people are spending big money on going on these splashy vacations in some cases, mm -hmm. have an adventure in your living room. <laughs> you know, you can actually do this. Uh, allowing yourself to reach outside of where you normally put your boundaries is just kind of a wonderful, expansive thing to do. Okay, so then you said that in 2008, 2009, even though you'd been having these climate conversations with people who might have had different views, that it got suddenly harder. Why? Um, it got, the polarization has been increasing. And, you know, the original vision for living room conversations, you know, as a founder of Move On, I want this to be massively reproducible. Mm -hmm. So these are small, these are intimate conversations that don't require a facilitator. If you just take the conversation agreements and the conversation guide, you can have a great conversation. Um, so 
that that change got amplified yet again it's been growing but in 2016 things went off the rails to some extent i've never seen this country as polarized and so now it's impolite to talk about politics mm -hmm. in mixed company when we don't talk about things with people we don't agree with and we only talk with people that agree with us that deepens our sense that those people are crazy <laughs> you know it's right there is so the filter bubbles we're creating we have a filter bubble in the media and we have a filter bubble in human relationships and so we are starting to see those people as less than in very dangerous ways i mean i'm not a faith-based person but i and beginning to speak about that is seeing people ask me, why should I talk to those people? Oh, yeah. Um, there's less interest. And some people are having more because they're realizing this is becoming critical. Yeah. And it's, it's seeing the divinity in everyone. Mm. We have churches that are stepping up and conservative churches because this is the golden rule. This mm -hmm. is love thy neighbor. Utah's one of our best states. And I should note, um, you're giving me credit for living room conversation. Thank you very much. I'm a co-founder. Now you gotta walk the walk with this. The founding of living room conversations is with you know conservative and independent and me. <laughs> because <laughs> you know, this we have to do this together. And it's gotta be all the way through the organization that we're doing this together. You know, as I'm listening to you, I just made a connection to something. You know, when we first started talking about mediation, you said, we are empowered when we can both sort of weigh in on decisions that are being made for our lives. Mm -hmm. And then I bring this to what you're building with your team at Living Room Conversations and I hear the heart-centeredness in what you're saying and seeing the divinity in people, but I also hear that just like what you did in mediation, what you're saying is, folks, when we can come to the table and stop calling each other crazy, but hear each other's stories, that is actually how we empower ourselves as communities. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, I'm kind of drawing that from the thread line of, of what you've shared so far, but I... I don't know, I'm just noticing this excitement come up in me and, and sort of making that connection from what you said about mediation and hearing the thread line of it all the way through to some of the other things I should mention, you know, move on and mom's rising and we'll, we'll give people more information, all that stuff. But I just think it's really beautiful and so important. But here's my question for you. Mm -hmm. people are kind of comfort junkies and going and talking to folks that maybe don't agree with us, even if we have this same heart-centered desire to see the divinity in people, it's still really uncomfortable. So how do we sort of work with that discomfort so that we're not demotivated? There are various motivations and different people do this for different reasons yeah um some people do it because the holidays are coming you know we're coming towards thanksgiving and other holidays and that means 
family and friends gather and family and friends sometimes have different viewpoints. Mm -hmm. They found that uh, gatherings across partisan divides are actually shorter <laughs> because people, there's so many people that are alienated or angry at this yeah. point that they're cut off from each other mm. and they don't know how to manage. So there are people that have these conversations in part so that they can develop new conversation skills, reinforce conversation skills that are going to make it so they enjoy these gatherings and they can love the people they love mm -hmm. and accept that there are differences. We have one conversation guide that's relationships before politics. Mm -hmm. It's our family and friends guide. Mm -hmm. And uh, this coming week, we're, we are just launching our golden rule guide. The National Institute for Civil Discourse is encouraging uh, churches all around the country to do a sermon on the 3rd of November mm. about the golden rule. And it's wonderful to listen to a sermon about that, but then to take that home with you and have mm. a conversation about your own personal relationship with the golden rule, how you live it, how you would want to live it, and listen to five other people talking about their that you know that kind of takes it in in mm -hmm. a, another level yeah so then they hear this this beautiful sermon but now they can do something with it they can yeah. take action because you've given them the steps on okay now you've been motivated by this sermon at your church now you've got a way to actually do something yeah it, it's the next step i mean it's there's more to do still, clearly, but it's about how, how do we want to live our lives? Mm. And not everybody wants to do a living room conversation. Sure. But that, you know, the people that show up, they're really marvelous. And people go away feeling energized and uplifted. And, you know, I love one of our... Uh, Pastors talks about how it allows her to know her own self better when she has a little yeah. conversation. We think we're going into it to hear others' views, and we are. Yeah. But it actually is clarifying for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite quotes that I was listening to on your website, um, one of your participants said, as we engage in other people's stories, we are changed, which is kind of what I hear you saying. Right now, that there is some way in which we come to know ourselves and are changed when we interact with other people's stories. Mm -hmm. And so that's one entryway. Another entryway is you have an issue that you really care about. I mean, I'm, I opened my entry with this into the climate is my top issue. Yep. Well, if you have a top issue, whether it be criminal justice reform, climate, you can have, we have about 100 conversation guides. Yep. That's a motivator too. And, <clears throat> and at this point, I don't care what people talk about because my thought experiment these days is imagine everyone in D.C. woke up tomorrow morning 
and climate was their top issue. All the leaders' climate was it. What would happen? Well, I want to point out that healthcare has been a top issue in DC for the last <laughs> couple of decades. Oh. We have the most expensive healthcare in the world, and we're not in the top 10 in terms of outcomes. So, this isn't just about persuading people that it's an issue, it's about being able to work together, to have the agility. And everyone's best ideas that happens when we're in a collaborative relationship and not an adversarial relationship. Mm -hmm. so, we can't figure anything out unless we really show up together. And that's from homelessness, which is hyper-local as well as regional and national, to climate change. Yeah. You know, so you've kind of covered three themes. You first talked about heart, then you talked about empowerment. And now I hear you talking about effectiveness. Who's, who's our friend? Somebody, Sorry, I've got a dog to, moment here. Somebody wants to be heard. That's yeah. so fitting. I, it's, they just knew that I love animals, so that's, that's all they wanted to say hi. That's good. So there's something, there's a third piece here, which I, I hear is part of your motivation. I heard heart, I heard empowerment mutual empowerment and i hear effectiveness that part of this part of leveraging the the living room conversations guides is that it also creates the potential for more effectiveness in leadership whether it's you know local political leadership or national political leadership does that is, is that hitting the mark and, and kind of where you guys yes are? yeah i like the way you do the analysis of this i think i have to take that we have to embrace this and I just am here to learn. I, I, I love having these conversations because I like to talk to my heroes and then just try to hear as deeply as I can everything that, that, that's important to them because it's heartening for me, right? Yeah, yes. so this is really motivating. Heart, empowerment, effectiveness. Really cool. So I heard you talk about how we're getting more and more polarized. It also seems like the leadership in and of itself is changing. And I don't mean just with our current president, but it seems more and more that we, I, I've had this, I'm, I've kind of had a soapbox, Joan, and, and I, knowing your background, I think you'd have something interesting to say about this. So I'm going to go off topic a little bit, but okay. it seems like we want celebrity leaders who are objectifiable. And I don't always think they're the most effective. And I don't just mean this president. I mean, I think that it's a, it's a long continuum on both sides of the aisle. And what is that about? And I get that you don't, I'm kind of just throwing this out there at you, but maybe we can think together about this because I feel sad about it. I feel like it's really interrupting the things that you stand for, which is heart and empowerment and effectiveness when we just have these folks that are kind of leading from ego. We have a culture that has been deeply impacted by our technology. Mm. And that's something that goes from the very individual, personal way it hits us to, you know, this overall, you know, media environment. Um, John Gable, who is my conservative partner, uh, one of them, founded something called All Sites, which is a news media yeah. service that gives you the news from across the political spectrum. And you can look at the same event reported on side by side. And you kind of go, oh, that's why we see things so differently. It's, it's sometimes just jaw-dropping. 
how yeah. differently the same events are interpreted. Yeah. Um, you know, it and, reminds me of the old magazine, The Week. I remember they used to pull like a, quotes from different magazines and newspapers around the country and send it out. That's, that's really cool. I know about all sides, but I, you're reminding me to check it out. It is cool. deeply important to recognize that we are in, you know, a media filter bubble. And so that's, that's part of what's creating this. And, you know, one of our conversations is about technology and relationships. Mm. And in that one, left and right doesn't matter. I don't think at all. <laughs> but what really matters is age. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so it's like most of us have seen a group of teenagers sitting around together looking at their phones. Yep. And we've seen how all our relationships have been transformed to some extent by our technology. Right. You know, people don't talk to each other in line the way they used to or yeah. on, you know, on the bus. Or it's just putting us in this individual bubble. And it's almost impolite to ring, even phone someone now. You're supposed to text. Or and ringing a doorbell. Honestly, that is as rude as the cultural shifts that are happening. Mm. Do we want them? Is this good for us? Um, yeah. You know, I was at, I, you go to the airport and you'll see a family, a three-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a parent all staring at screens. Yeah. Now, those kids are supposed to be messing with each other. It's a yeah. lot more work. Yeah. But, you know, there are developmental issues about this. Absolutely. And parents are signing pacts with each other not to give their kids phones until they're 14. Mm -hmm. That shows you how powerless parents feel, honestly. Mm -hmm. But what happens when they turn 14? Well, it's, there's a lot of stuff that's been transformed in our society. And what a great thing for us to talk about together and reflect mm -hmm. on. And the beautiful thing, I think this conversation might be the best one across partisan lines because it's about something we're all experiencing and we all don't know what the right answer is. It has nothing to do with politics or very little. Um, the media part does. I'll give you that. But the very personal part, not so much. Yeah, I can imagine it's a really great sort of gateway conversation starter because it is so universal. And then you can move on to other topics that might be a little more uncomfortable, right? Yeah, we have communities and people that are doing monthly conversations. Yeah. Originally, I've been learning so much from this. It's, uh, you know, we had a vision of one conversation and we're starting to see that really it's a practice. And you're, pre you're preaching my language, lady. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I am, I have so much humility. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm just humbled by how much I'm learning all the time. And it's a nice place to come from humility, right? Because you're liberated from having to know you just keep practicing mm -hmm. and coming back, which I, I guess I want to make this conversation a little more human. I, so my friends give me this little nickname. They say, you're, you're kind of a bottom dweller. You really like uncomfortable feelings and you like to own like your mistakes in ways that a lot of people don't. But I also feel like it makes people feel safe with me. Right. And mm -hmm. so 
when we talk to folks that are so skilled like you, Joan, one of the things that helps humanize this whole experience and help us, I think, feel motivated to keep going, even if we've screwed something up, is to hear, have you ever screwed up a conversation? And what did you do and how did you recover? Um, I don't have a good memory. I'm sure it screwed up infinite numbers of conversations. There's all, you know, even when I um, do an interview, I always feel like, how was I supposed to do that better? Um, oh, thank you. You just made me feel a little more normal. So thank you for saying that out loud. Every time. Every time. <laughs> I was so awkward. I was so, you know, it, we all have that feeling sometimes when we walk away. I didn't do that quite right, whether it be a conversation or an interview. So you're asking me from too big of a pool to draw from. Yeah. Uh, in terms of these conversations, it's, um, it's a pretty, it's a very strong container. Right. So they've always been good. The biggest problem we've had within these is if we do it in a conference setting, sometimes some people don't fully, they just go along and they don't fully accept the conversation agreements. Got it. And that can be challenging because you really have to embrace those agreements. Yeah, and I just, just for the listeners, I just, I think it'd be useful, just a quick shorthand, what, in addition to the, to, to the different conversation starters and all these different topics, there's a prerequisite of conversation ingredients, agreements like curiosity and respect, suspending judgment, um, noting, you know what one of my favorite ones is from your conversation agreements? I love this so much. I totally am gonna engage our volunteers around this, that we need to not just pay attention to our differences, but also noting the common ground at the same time, because that negativity bias in the brain always wants to look for what's different. Mm -hmm. I love that so much, that authenticity is welcome, and that you're purposeful and to the point with your sharing, because sometimes I know, that, I know that place in me that can go on and on and on and not necessarily answer the question that was asked. And then you really ask the, the community to own the conversation agreement and kind of keep everyone accountable to the agreement while you're having the conversation. And I, I love that. And then you also give them these topical dialogues. Yeah. And it's, I mean, the dream here is we want to have millions of people restoring their relationships across difference as a, as a country. We used to be really proud that we have all kinds of different religions and yet we're thriving, peaceful communities. And somehow that is feeling more and more lost on the political realm. Yeah. We have to be able to care about people, love people that have views that are different than ours. Mm -hmm. And that goes for political views as well as religious views. Yeah. The other thing you've said in this conversation, it's a little bit ago, but I'm sorry, it's just bubbling up in me as you talk about this. Because when you'd said, we need to be able to care about people 
across political views. I also think care about people who want to talk politics in the first place. <laughs> I had this experience, Joan, where my neighbor across the street, so I was a political science major, undergrad. I'm a little bit nerdy. I like talking about politics. Even if I don't have an opinion about the thing I'm talking about, I just, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she just thought I was, an, uh, she just thought I was off my rocker. Oh, Tracy, this isn't appropriate to talk about. I said, what, what, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> and so you'd said earlier in the conversation that it isn't just the polarization across left and right, but against who's talking about it and not talking about it. Like, God forbid you should bring up something that's political. Yeah. No, that's, that is no longer considered socially acceptable in some circles. That's, that's not good have, for a democracy. It's not good for a democracy. Not good for a democracy. This is why I love what you're doing so, so much. Because I think when I was an undergrad, I think one of the things that I'd always wanted to do was figure out ways to get more people participating in their democracy. And mm -hmm. it's just only declined. So I love, I love what you're doing. So I'm aware that I've taken up a, a good chunk of your time. Just two more questions. Who are some of your connection heroes? Like I have a gazillion. Who are the people that we should be investigating or who are the people that inform your thought? It might even be your, your dog. I don't know, but you know, who, <laughs> who, who are, who are your heroes? Oh, wow. Um, there's a whole bridging movement that this is part of. You know, this is a, a continuum of opportunities to connect, right? So I am just loving. Well, first of all, Debbie Lynn's one of our co-founders, and she's now the head of the Bridge Alliance, which is you know, 100 organizations that are doing different forms of bridging. I think she's amazing and currently put together, there's a meeting in DC this week that's going to be just brilliant. I regret that I'm not there, but I'm delighted that uh, a number of our leaders are there. It's, it's been fabulous also working with our faith community leaders. I learned so much from them. I'm working with wise people. Mm. What a what an honor! Yeah, and Reverend Linda, she, I love the way she says that spins my spurs. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's really cute. You know, I have to share one little me too moment for a second, which was when we were listening in Louisville, Kentucky. This woman came out of her shop and she said, "You guys have the wrong things on your signs. It shouldn't say free listening. It should say y'all." We're listening. <laughs> I thought that was so cute. Oh, well, I'm, I'm all sides. He's, you know, he's got so much energy for making this right. Mm. And, you know, we've done lots of uh, presentations together. We did a TED talk together. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's taking on so much. It's heroic that, and it's not easy. You know, honestly, you know, on the right and the left, people look at you, it's like, they're hanging out with them. <laughs> and it's, but uh, they're pretty cool. Yeah. You know, the people I get to spend time with are pretty wonderful. Yeah. Well, another time, I'd love to pick your brain on how you balance it all. Because I think for us, you know, 
we sat out on the sidewalk one time and I then just started getting calls. And so um, how to balance your own well-being while you're serving the community in such a massive way is something that I'll be curious to hear more about in another conversation. Um, Let me just say it serves me to do this. It is yeah. a right spot in my life. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you take joy from it. I mean, when I, I listen do. to your core values of heart, empowerment, and effectiveness, these sort of hit all three, right? I like to think so, yes. Yeah. So part of why we wanted to talk with you is that we have 7,000 of our volunteers who are going to get a personal email with this recording sent to them. And I wanted to invite you to either offer some advice for our volunteers who sit out on sidewalks in 92 locations right now. We're not just US-based, we're in, in 14 countries outside the US, but what words of wisdom or wish would you have for those volunteers as sort of a parting statement? I would love for them to try a conversation. Um, it's, if people are enjoying these for how it gives them more listening skills and relationship skills, maybe it'd be fun for the sidewalks. I haven't done the sidewalks yet, so, but I'm guessing it might be one of those mutually beneficial type of things. Yeah. And we are always looking for more people to help us spread this practice because now, our goal is to create culture change. Mm -hmm. There are some studies that suggest if 3.5% of the population really steps up to an issue, culture changes. Mm -hmm. That's doable. We yeah. can do this. Yeah. And this othering of people is not only happening in the U.S. So when you say it's not only in the U.S., we... We actually know this has been used all around the world. Yeah. We just don't have much visibility. And it is an open source project, so people should make it culturally appropriate for wherever they are. But the basic structure, I think, is really robust. And I, you know, open source also means we're always looking to hear back. It's really important to hear back from people about what's working and if there are ways we can make it better. Yeah, we are constantly trying to improve what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for that and for your time. I know that you have wildfires going on in California and are going to be going off to safer, cleaner air. And as someone who I know is an environmental activist, I, I could imagine your heart is also hurting with everything that's going on there. So um, I'll let you get on your way and take your dog and your family and get to safer ground. But Joan. Um, I just want to say a heartfelt thank you for your service. Very welcome. Thank you for helping us get the word out. It's incredibly valuable to us. So yeah. um, I'm looking forward. We should have a living room conversation someday. We do these by video as well as by uh, in person. Wonderful. <laughs> Sounds good. Have, have a lovely week. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.